Welcome to SaaS Stories, hosted by Joanna Inch of Hat Media. On this show, we speak to tech and SaaS business owners and leaders about their journey in the SaaS world. Tune in as we share success stories and discuss ideas to take your SaaS business to the next level. So let's dive in. Good morning, good morning. Welcome, everybody, to the latest SaaS story. I'm joined by Scotty Schindler. Thank you, Scotty, for joining us today. Um, quick introduction. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I think better coming from you than me. So, um, yeah, let's hear it. Sure. Uh, I love the SaaS story. So, you know, I, I started a SaaS company before SaaS was called SaaS. And uh, I was really happy when they came up with the term. So I started a software company. or I wanted to get into this space in 2000. I started the company ReNet in February 2002, and I had that established in my own mind that I had a company by September 2003. So nearly four years later, I had a, I had a company uh, that was the way I wanted it to be. So it took a little while to get that company going, and then I went on the entrepreneurial journey, and that worked every bit as good as I thought it would, and I exited, and... 2017 in October was the, the second exit and, you know, it's been a pretty good ride ever since as well. So I've had a pretty lucky journey, although what most people don't realize is Renet was my sixth attempt at creating a company in this space. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, the accommodation one and the car yard one sort of worked, but the one I got the traction out of was actually in the end, the real estate industry. So mm. I stuck to the real estate industry. Good industry, and I love that you used the word lucky. I, I find that um, the harder you work, the luckier you are. <laughs> well, yeah, and you know, I guess I was lucky for only one reason, and, and and apart from the willingness to put in what it took, it was the fact that I had the ability to be able to close deals. So I had the ability to, be able to walk in cold with someone and walk out with a check and a client, and a long-term client, not just a sale. And some of those clients stayed with me for the entire journey of Renet. So the lifetime value was insane. Fantastic. That's absolutely brilliant. Which brings me to my first question. For all the startups listening out there, um, tell us the story of how you launched your very first most successful startup, assuming it's the real estate one. Um, How did you go about coming up with the idea and then going to market with it? Yeah, right. So I, I... The story goes that I didn't think about ideas. I was in the marketplace getting feedback from people and came up with solutions. So that's how I came up with the startup journey. And it wasn't even called startup. It was just going into business. Now there's a term called startup business. Business. And in fact, it was really funky because at the turn of the century, you know, websites were actually the, the best technology around. And that was websites. Although there was some, you know, online databasing and things like that. But the whole... Uh, the whole concept of software as a service or the startup economy didn't really exist like it does today. But at the same time, so how I came up with that was by just getting feedback from clients. Now, what would you like? What would you like? What would you like? And then, like I said, the one that got the traction and the one people wanted to pay for the easiest was the real estate software. So that's how I went up on that startup journey. So I was already looking after half a dozen real estate agents in this area but it was just looking after their websites. And then they wanted the software because they saved some money, but I had to do less work, so it was perfect. And I thought, you know, this is pretty good. I'm just gonna try and scale and duplicate, scale and duplicate. And I figured if I could, I had a company. And that took a little while to prove. You know, it wasn't a few months, it was actually nearly two years later from when I started. In fact, it was, I I started putting agents onto that software in September, 2001. 
And the last time I knocked on a door was September 2003. Sounds about right, I think. Um, knocking on doors, cold calling, yeah, it's, it's the world of the past, I think. <laughs> Um, and speaking of scaling, what was instrumental to your scaling success? I mean, you mentioned you had those relationships. I, I know they're crucial to business, startups, whatever you want to call it. Um, what else has been instrumental to helping you scale and grow? Well, I made sure, look, one of my mottos when I left the insurance business was to have a perfect time duplicatable product. And what that meant was I could I could duplicate the product, I could duplicate myself, and I could duplicate my wealth. But that was had had to come last, right? Automation. But, but the point was everything had to be duplicatable and scalable. Mm. You know, so I could do something once, and I got paid for it twice. And that's what I loved about the startup area. Now that we look back, you know, because I could do that in technology, I could scale quite easily. You just had to put more resources after it. And that's all you needed to do. So it was quite easy to scale, although it became a mission because you had to hire more staff, you had to find qualified staff, you had to look after staff. It wasn't just a software company, now you're a people business again. And, you know, so it was, it was a challenge, but, you know, scaling, scaling was, it wasn't an option. That's actually what I wanted to do. I wanted to create a business that could scale. In fact, my words were I could duplicate. The buzzword today is scale. Back then it was just, I needed a duplicatable product. I could duplicate it outside of this area into anywhere that was with a real estate agent in the end. I love that you've used that word duplicate. Um, one thing I do a lot of when I when I help startups on their go-to-market journeys is we implement marketing automation and I actually call marketing automation a way to clone yourself. Um, so a way to duplicate everything, your efforts, uh, so much that you can automate, duplicate, clone, whatever word you want to use for it. But that is essentially um, a crucial step in a scaling journey. So, yeah, it's, you absolutely nailed it. <laughs> and what were your biggest challenges? I mean, we have the success story. We have, you know, um, ways in which uh, you were able to scale and grow, um, find a gap in the market and help, you know, your target audience. But what were your biggest challenges? You, you mentioned you had to manage people. I know that's definitely a massive challenge, people management on its own. What about anything else? Well, do you know, you just mentioned a word then, find a gap in the market. Well, do you know when I started Renet, I had to actually create the market. Everyone wanted to buy software, whereas I was trying to lease them software, I called it, or rent the software, as we now know at SAS. But I actually had to create a market. Well, I mean, I'd walk into people and I'd be saying, well, when you Google, they'd be going, what's Google? <laughs> I mean, that's a true story. So, you know, I mean, I, the biggest challenges I had was actually, I guess some people say I was a trailblazer, but I'll never, ever see myself as that. But the reality was it was still, I thought I was late to the, to the race, you know what I mean? But it, it was still a challenge to get people to think differently on how they use the software. And that was a massive challenge. The second challenge I had was, I was self-taught. So, you know, I had, to, I had to continually fix everything and work smarter all the time and go, no, I need to centralise that code. I need to put that code so I can duplicate it. Not copy-paste, I'm talking pure scale on technology. So it has to be centralised, object-orientated, into classes. And, and I had to continually reinvent that and work smarter. Thinking of things like not just a real estate agent, but then a salesperson or a franchise group. So I had to continually think differently all the time. And that were the two biggest challenges that I had. So, but it was all right. I mean, I, I really enjoyed the challenge. 
Yeah, definitely. It's um, and it sounds like you're definitely uh, ahead of the curve there as well. I mean, having to create your audience, having to do that education, um, it, it comes with all the challenges of being first to market rather than you know next or best to market, for example. And I think a lot of startup founders are kind of dealing with that as they come up with these new ideas that could change the world, could create you know some beautiful innovation around the world. How do you think startups are changing the world at the moment? Look, I think startups are going to continue to change the world forever. So at the moment, it's really irrelevant. But the, you know, there's a lot of really smart guys out there coming up with really smart ideas, and it's really it really matters how you go to market and traction, and listen to what the audience wants as to whether you get to the next phase, whether you get to that traction and profitable income where people actually want it, and it's really listening to that market. So startups are going to continue to change the world forever. But you know, here's the reality, right? So the definition of insanity is said to be doing the same thing um, everyone else is doing and expecting a different result, right? Absolutely. Or doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Yeah. My definition of insanity is is if you're doing the same thing everyone else is doing and you're expecting a better result, well, that's the definition of insanity for me. So if you're going to start up, you've got to start up with something that's going to be different and give a higher level solution or a bit of a lateral thinking that's going to do a bit of time saving or money making for people. You've just got to think differently. It can't be a startup like everyone else. No, I've actually got another really interesting quote for you now that you mentioned that one. It's, um, I recently read this in a book. Uh, it says, uh, the illiterate world of today is not the people that can't read or write, but it's the people that can't embrace change and innovation. That's a good one. Yeah, I 100% agree with that one. Um, so you've had this beautiful, successful startup that's come a long way. I think now you mainly do a lot of mentoring to startups. Um, what can we expect from you in the future? What are you looking forward to do? Well, I spend my time now. I mean, I I was look really enjoying retirement, but there's only so many times you can mow the lawn and wash the car. And if and if the surf was good every day, we wouldn't be talking right now. But it's not. <laughs> But what I do get a buzz out of, just like surfing or getting clients in business now, is helping others with their journey. So what I did was I sat down and thought about all the things I tried to do in 2000 that worked, and then I wrapped them into a system. I now share that with people. And, you know, one of those systems is time duplication. That's one of the things that I've trademarked. Not so people can't use it. It's so you can make it part of your DNA. So I share five business philosophies now with everyone. So there's business judo, that's your collaboration, your net building your network, your leveraging, those sorts of things. Your time duplication, I've already mentioned. You've got your business a third, so you can't expect everything to be successful. There's the tick boxes and the crosses and the people in the middle. So, you know, think of business as thirds. And the second one is, uh, sorry, the, the fourth one um, is the rule of 100. So the first 100 seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months. So the first 100 seconds, minutes hours, days, weeks, months. And you've got to think about things going through these checkpoints all the time. Whether it's your ideas or clients' expectations or the journey, everything goes through those checkpoints. And the last one is sugar and cream. So, you know, you can come up with something that, you know, is for all the sugary people that they're looking for solutions instead of chasing the creamy things. You know, you don't need, necessarily need to look at all the creamy products out there and all the creamy things that are achieving things, like trying to create another Facebook. I mean, why would you bother? Go out and look for something else that needs a little bit of sugar and stirring and it'll become a really successful business. Absolutely. It sounds like you have quite a few projects there that you're working on. Is there anything, any personal projects that you're able to share? Maybe another startup, another idea that um, you're currently 
My staff is only in the knowledge-based economy now. Sharing <laughs> um, knowledge, good I've place my, to be, I think. I've had my turn. Uh, you know, I did really well out of it. And, you know, instead of starting up another one, I would have just stayed right where I was. Although the reality was I didn't want to get out. I actually wanted to sell the company, de-risk, and go on a journey with someone else's money for a change. And that didn't work out. I mean, I found out I'm a terrible employee, so. <laughs> I think most entrepreneurs are. <laughs> yeah, I'm, a, I'm a terrible employee. I'm, yeah, I'd, just, I'd sooner just yeah. No, I think, uh, yeah, I know people like us and like startup founders, but we need to be given, given the creative freedom and flexibility to, to take ideas and evolve them. So uh, I think we'd all make pretty terrible employees. <laughs> but I never wanted to leave. So, you know, I, was, I thought I was going to be there forever. Yeah. And, uh, but I don't think I'll ever start another startup. I won't say never, mm. but I'm certainly enjoying being in the knowledge-based economy mm. and sharing and watching people have those aha moments and then go off and prosper. It's a yeah. I love that too. I love helping startups that have kind of come with an idea and it's something exciting. I see that they've got a gap in the market. It can definitely change the industry that they're, they're working in. Um, absolutely love helping them. It's very rewarding working with those guys. Um, speaking of the learning economy, uh, I love asking this question. I don't know everyone's sick of hearing about COVID, but one question I ask around COVID is, what have been your biggest learnings from, from, from it, from the crisis? What opportunities do you think are going to come out of it as well? Oh, look, I think it's been very, very revealing for a lot of people in a lot of industries to see whether they had the right systems in place. You know, whether they had multiple streams of income, whether they were future thinking. I think, you know, the people that had those sorts of things, although there could have been, could be just really bad timing for some people, but I think it's going to teach people they need to actually future-proof their business. They need multiple streams of income. They need to think about the good times, the bad times and the cycles. And I think it's just going to build a lot stronger people. So, this, you know, there's some people that have never seen a downturn ever. You know, they don't even know what a downturn looks like. And then we had this, you know, <laughs> global pandemic, which was a global downturn. Yeah. So there's some people who never even seen a downturn at all in any way, shape or form. And mm. they were in university when the GFC hit. And that, what was that? It was just a bit of news on the TV in 2008. Well, that was me. <laughs> you know, I've been through a heap of the night. So I expect, yeah. I expect things not to be good every single year. And you've got to have mm. those contingency plans. So, you know, what I'm seeing now is a lot of people trying to think about how to diversify their income, you know, not just be, be one focused income and have multiple streams of income within their business. Yeah. So, for example, yeah, and I'm actually seeing that with a lot of the clients that I work with, you know, they actually have a business, whether it be in real estate, in strata, in, um, you know, HR recruitment, they're, um, they're seeing challenges in their day-to-day and they're now going away and creating uh the software uh to help solve these challenges so i love working with these guys because they absolutely understand their target audience they've lived those challenges they know exactly how to solve that problem um yeah and they're 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 the ones that are changing the world at the moment i think or at least the world of corporate yeah And, you know, like there's different layers. So you might be focused on one area, but there's the consumer area, there's the business to business, there's also training, there's the knowledge-based economy around that market. There's there's all these different layers you can fit in. Think of a restaurant that was a restaurant and only had, you know, a few percent of their business that was takeaway business, but they already had the systems and the processes in place. And all of a sudden, it went from being 
a sideline business that you might have done a few hundred dollars a night in to becoming their primary business overnight. But they already yeah. have the systems in place. So having a few of those income streams, even if they're not primary streams, you can pivot and you can change because you've already got your finger in the pie. It's a lot easier just by having, what are my five streams of income right now in my marketplace, right now with my product that I can actually implement? They don't all need to be big as long as they're not losing money. They're just chugging along with their streams. And then all of a sudden, one day they might take off or you might pivot and change them. But having multiple streams of income in every business is yeah. super important. Absolutely. I, I know, um, I mean, I've been in business for over 10 years. We've probably pivoted a number of times throughout those years. So it's definitely helped sustain us and helped us, you know, survive and thrive. I think that's really good advice to offer some of the startup founders as well. So have different streams of income. Um, definitely in, in case of, you know, whatever the world might throw at you. Look, one of the biggest things is to look long term as well. So have a think about, you know, you're, you, I mean, I know it's easy to go, oh, this is going to be worth millions of dollars and I'm going to sell it and I'm going to, I'm going to be rich and everything else. Well, the reality is most startups turn into a normal everyday business. That's the reality. You know, very few of them turn into the Facebooks and the Instagrams of the world. Yeah. Most of them turn into good traditional businesses where they're solid, they make income and everyone gets to achieve whatever they want. So think long term, but most importantly, think about a business you want to keep, not one you want to sell. Mm. I know they say begin with the exit in mind and all those sorts of things. And I don't disagree with that because it helps you set up some structures. But if you don't even want to keep the business and it's not that solid a business to keep, well, no one's going to think it's a value to buy either. So it's got to be something that you, you're happy to keep it or happy to on-sell it if the right opportunity comes along. So make sure you're building those foundation layers. I shudder every time I hear someone come in and say to me, oh, I'm just going to build this up and two or three years later, I'm going to flog it. And I go, well, <laughs> this is going to be a terrible business. No one's going to want it in two or three years' time. Yeah. Unless you're one of those one in a billion that gets lucky. I think as well, if you've got that in your mind, you're not really waking up in the morning, you know, with a purpose or a passion to kind of, you know, put everything you have in it because it's, yeah, in three years, it won't, it won't be there anymore. So what's the point in a way? I think and the it, mindset's really important. Client loyalty, you know, product stability, all those things are there if you have a long term and a value for someone to buy because it's there as a foundation layer. But if you're just thinking, oh, two or three years time, it won't matter if that person isn't with me as a client anymore, as long as I get them now so I can sell the business. Well, mm. there's no, it just, I don't know. My, my preference is build a business you want to keep. It's okay to exit and sell it, but if you don't want to keep it, no one's going to want to buy it. So it's got to no. be that you want to keep. And it's okay to exit. There's no issues there. But that mentality of doing the right things in growing your business is what I'm talking about. Well, thank you, Scotty. Um, I do have one final question for you, but I really appreciate you taking the time to, you know, share your advice with, with the startups and, you know, our audience as well. Uh, I really enjoyed listening to your SaaS story. Uh, really appreciate it. Last question for you. Um, other than the surf, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What inspires you? Oh, nowadays, lifestyle, pure lifestyle. So the other day I was, you know, I was mountain biking through the, all we got all these mountain bike tracks here. Um, I was riding the SUP, the stand-up paddleboard through the rivers yesterday for two hours. Um, you know, just pure lifestyle. It's about balance in life. So I've got a motto, which is strive for healthy, wealthy, and wise. And you've got to have that balance in life. And, you know, I mean, you're an entrepreneur, so you can work 80 hours a week and not have to work 40. 
you know, you want to be able to do twice as much in half the time, yeah. which is perfect. But get that balance. Remember to reward yourself. Get that balance and, and enjoy the enjoy the successes that you get along the way as well. Absolutely. I think that's the reason why most of us do go in business so we can have that work-life balance. So however we choose to, you know, spend that time. I actually think if one thing that's positive that's come out of COVID is that, you know, not just for entrepreneurs, but you know, like the employees as well, um, they're now going to have a lot more flexibility with working from home conditions. So they could possibly get a lot more work-life balance in their days and, yeah, I, I see a lot of um, kind of opportunities and you know productivity coming out of that as well. Good. Yep. All right, that covers it. Thank you so much for being on SaaS Stories. Uh, really appreciate you sharing with us today. Uh, thank you so much. That's all right. Best of luck, everyone who's listening. Thanks for tuning in. This has been the SaaS Stories podcast, brought to you by Hat Media a nerdy marketing agency that has worked with some of the biggest global B2B technology brands. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. For even more resources, visit our website at hatmedia.com.au, where we share guides, ebooks, and webinars on all things marketing to help you grow. Until next time, happy sassing.